Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the time of worship, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the reminder, Lord Jesus, that your grace is sufficient, Heavenly Father. No matter how far we've gone, Lord, you're, you're there waiting for us, Lord, with open arms, Heavenly Father. Lord, and you're gracious to us, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, that you just bestow upon us your presence this morning. Pray for your word, Heavenly Father, that it may come to life, Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the words, Lord, that I speak, Heavenly Father, are not my words, but they'll be your words, Heavenly Father, that you've instilled in my heart, Lord, in my tongue. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to do only what you can do in this time together. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, my sermon is titled, Comforting Words. Last week, we looked at a sermon titled, Conflicting Words. We looked at Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 21 last week, and we'll be looking at Acts chapter 21 again this morning. We saw in Acts 20 that the Holy Spirit pressed upon Paul's heart to go to Jerusalem, right? We saw that Paul was warned by the Holy Spirit that there was hardship coming. He would be imprisoned uh, 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 in Jerusalem, and that was what was waiting for him when he arrived in Jerusalem. And we learned that Paul was determined to do the will of God, regardless of what was going to happen to him physically. The will of God was the most important thing in Paul's life, and it should be also the most important thing in our life as well. But after Paul received this, uh, the, 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 this, this warning, per se, this prophecy from, from, from the Holy Spirit, Paul also received, uh, uh, when he went to uh, Tyre, he received from the disciples there a conflicting word, right? The conflicting word was he, he, he felt compelled to go, but they told him, don't go, right? Not to go. And we learn as much as, as, as it was conflicting, it was confer, conforming, confirming to Paul because Paul already knew what God had told him through the Holy Spirit. And we learned last week that it was, it, was, it was confirming to Paul for God's will in his life. And the, and, and, and the disciples confirmed that Paul would also face prison and hardship. But they did the humanly thing, and they told him, you know what, we, we see hardship in your future, we see prison in your future, and the humanly thing is, hey, hey, buddy, there's difficulties, don't go, don't do it, right? But it was the divine thing, it was God's plan. It wasn't a human plan, right, it was God's plan. And lastly, we learned that last week that Paul did not confuse the will of God, because God's will is not confusing it's not confusing at all because God is not a confusing God. Confusion comes from one source, and that's Satan, right? The deceiver of this world. That's where confusion comes from. It does, confusion does not come from God. God's will is confirming. God's will is also comforting when you think about it. It's true in our lives, but it's also true in the Apostle Paul's life. In all the trouble that he faced, he had, the, he had the comfort of knowing that he was doing the will of God. That's comforting, amen? He had comfort knowing that, that God was still in control. That's comforting because sometimes that's easy for us to lose sight in that, that the, 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 the whole world, everybody else is, is just going in chaos, but we still have the comfort knowing that God is still in control regardless of what may occur, Amen? He had the comfort that God was leading him regardless of what obstacles and opposition might come his way. See, I, I don't know about you, but I want the same comfort that Paul experienced. I want that same comfort that Paul experienced in his life, the comfort of, of finding and doing and then living out the will of God. 
See, throughout history, we've seen people martyred for the faith. Missionaries who have been uh, captured and killed, and we're we're seeing this in real life Afghanistan today, where they're searching out Christians to kill and to martyr because of their faith. We see disciples that live out their calling regardless of the cost, some paying the ultimate price through all the struggles, through all their oppositions and obstacles. God did something in the midst of it, and he provided them comfort. Amen? He provided them comfort because if he didn't, at that point, they could renounce their faith right? They can save their life. They can live their life. The Bible tells us if we lose our life, we'll find our life, right? They find comfort knowing that regardless of, the, of, of, of what, may fit, might, might, what may, might they may face, that God was still God. They felt, felt, they, they, they felt comfort in that midst. To the contrary, one of the most conflicting and difficult things is to oppose the will of God. It catches up with us. You can ask someone like Jonah who spent three days in the belly of a well when you know what God wants, but you decide to do your own will over God's will. There's a conflict there. There's a conflict there. I don't know why we, we fight God. I've done it in my life where I fought God on certain things. And you know, I never won. <laughs> we never win. But that doesn't stop us from fighting God, right? We fight God. But while we're fighting him, how much trouble do we bring upon ourselves as we fight God? How much, how much trouble do we, fight, do we bring upon ourselves when we, when we refuse the will of God? How much do we miss out on? And you think about that. If Dennis was just obedient 100% of the time to God's will, how much, when I, when I wasn't obedient, how much did I miss out on? from God working in my life. See, the, the thing is, is, we have to understand is the will of God is going to be the will of God regardless of what we do. But the question is, is God, will God be using you or will he be using someone else? See, God's will is going to be accomplished, but will it be through you or will it be through somebody else because we were too hard-headed not to do the will of God? It's going to be one or the other, right? God's going to use somebody because God's will is not going to stop because you said no. God's will is not going to stop because you don't want to cooperate. God's will will continue because God is God and you are not, and I am not. Question is, will he use you to accomplish his will? This morning, just like last week, there's three truths I want us to see in doing the will of God. Let's turn to Acts chapter 21, starting with verse 7. So we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. First thing I want us to see is the Holy Spirit's protection in Paul's life. Protection in Paul's life. See, so Paul leaves Tyrus, right? Tyre, I'm sorry. Tyre, he leaves Tyre where he received confirmation from the disciples at Tyre that he was going to be, what, facing hardship in prison, okay? He reaches Caesarea, and he stays at the house of Philip. Philip we haven't seen uh, in, in, in 20 years. Philip comes on the scene, right? Remember Philip uh, back earlier in Acts with the eunuch, right? He saved the, the eunuch, and the eunuch had a relationship with, 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 with Jesus Christ because of, of Philip. 
We see here, and over the last 20 years, Philip got married, he had children, and there's at least four of them, verse 9 talks about, four unmarried daughters. And, and verse 9 also says that these four unmarried daughters were prophetess, right? They, they, they were, had the gift of prophecy. See, but what's interesting here is Luke stopped right there. He said, verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, period. Verse 10 started. Four unmarried daughters who prophesied, right? Luke turns his attention in verse 10 to another prophet, which we'll see here in just a minute, named Agabus, in verse 10. What I find interesting is this, that Luke doesn't document anything else about these women. Four women who prophesied, period, right? When you think about that and you look at the context, there's, there's something missing there because there, there's nothing else there, right? There's nothing else there. He, Luke does not say anything that was prophesied to Paul. See, we know earlier on, right, uh, uh, earlier on uh, uh, a couple of chapters ago that Luke joined Paul again. So again, we see the words we, right? And in verse 7, we see that, that Paul and Luke were still together because we see the word we. So, so this is not something that Paul was explaining to Luke and Luke was writing down and documenting. This is we as in Luke and Paul were together and things were going on and Luke was witnessing and he was taking account for what he saw and what he experienced. It was first, firsthand knowledge, not secondhand knowledge. So we can take it away from, from the scripture here that these four women prophesied. However, they did not prophesy over Paul. They didn't prophesy over Paul because if they did, I can guarantee you that Luke would put it down. It was important for Luke to put it down because Luke thought it was so important that these four women prophesied that he wrote it down in verse 9 of chapter 21, right? But if they, and we see prior to that, that back earlier on in, in, in Acts chapter 21, that it was important to, to mark down what, what happened in Tyre, and then we see later on what happens with Agabus. So it was important for Luke to document those prophecies. So these four women prophesied, Luke would have done what? Documented it, right? He would have wrote it down. The question is, then why didn't it happen? And the reason why I believe that they did not prophesy is that they, they had the gift of prophecy, but they didn't have a word for Paul. They didn't have a word for Paul. It wasn't God's will for these four women to prophesy over Paul. See, a lot of times we think about a prophet and we think a prophet should have a prophecy for every single one of us, but they don't, okay? Because it has to be within God's will. And when they step out of God's will, that prophet has to answer to what they prophesy. And that's what's really important as, as prophets to really make sure that when you prophesy that it is coming straight from God and, and nowhere else, Right? But I believe that it was God's protection in Paul's life that they did not prophesy. Because they could have said something, but God did not allow it. Even from well-intended people, God protected Paul. See, when we think about the will of God, right, God will protect us in the will of God. But this is the thing, okay? Now follow me along with this one. When we think about the word protection, we think about the word Perfection. Protection means perfection. Protection means that life would be perfect, that life would go easy, that we would go unharmed and unhindered. Protection equals perfection. And that's not the case whatsoever. 
right? That's not the case. It's not the case in Paul's life. It's not the case in our life. We, uh, we, we, we have to remember back in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, the road to Damascus. Verse 15, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, verse 15 says this, but the Lord said, he's talking to Ananias. He said, go for Saul. Saul, who is who? Paul, right? He says, uh, uh, Saul is my chosen instrument to make, uh, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Verse 16 says, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So he's saying at that point that Paul's going to suffer, but at the same time, God provides protection to Paul, right? Paul, Saul, Paul suffered a lot. He finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison, but in that prison experience, God did what? Protected him, right? He was beaten, 39 lashes, but in that beating, God still what? Protected him. We could say, you know what? Well, he suffered 39 beatings, but it was prophesied that he would suffer in God's name, right? He would suffer in the name of Jesus, but in the beating, God still protected him. He finds himself shipwrecked, but God still what? Protected him, right? Even though Paul went through a lot, God was not going to allow anything to happen outside of God's will to Paul. Nothing will happen to Paul outside of God's will right? If it was God's will for him to die, he would have died in the 39th lash. If it was God's will for him to be stuck in prison, then you know what? He would have been stuck in prison. If it was God's will for him to die during a shipwreck, he would have died in the shipwreck. But God did not allow anything outside of his will to happen to Paul. That was God's protection. You think about this, it's true in the life of Job as well, right? It's true in the life of Job. Job was someone who sought to do the will of God. He, he wanted to follow God. And, 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 and God tells Satan, hey, that's my servant Job. He will not curse me. You can do anything you want to him, but you can't touch his life. You know what? That's a protection of God. Right? We think about that. That's a protection of God, and we miss that. We miss that, that, that Job went through a whole lot, but God said, you're not going to touch my servants. That's God's protection, right? That is God's protection. God drove the line in the sand and says, this is where the buck stops. You can do all these things, but you will not touch my servant's life because I'm protecting my servant. Amen? So when we step out of the will of God that we lose the protection of God, what if Job cursed God? Guess what? Then at that point, he decides to cross the own, his own line, right? Step out of the will of God, which steps out of the protection of God, and then at that point, he may be able to, uh, to, to, to die at that point, right? Because he stepped out of the will of God. See, when you decide to step out of, of the covering of God into your own way or will, it causes what? Conflict, right? And when you, when you cause the conflict, you lose the comfort of God's will. Let me tell you, God doesn't move the umbrella. We choose to close it. God doesn't close the umbrella. We choose to step side of it, right? We choose to get out from underneath it. We choose to get out from the covering. And then we wonder why we got soaked in the rain because we chose to close the umbrella, Right? God didn't, God didn't close it for us, but we chose to close it on our own because we chose to step away from the will of God, which was stepping out of the protection of God. Again, I'm going to read this a couple times this morning. The promise is not God's will would be easy. The promise that he, he, he'll be with you. That's the promise. John, John 15, 5 says, I am 
the vine. You are the branches. Who's the vine? God is. Who's the branches? We are, right? He says, if you remain in me and I in you, what's the, what is it we remain in who? We remain in him first, and then he what remains in us, okay? It's a two-way street. We want God to remain in us, and then we don't want to give back what's God's, right, which is you and me. What, what the, the, the word says is we remain in him, and then his promise is he will remain in us, right? He says, you are a bit of much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. The key here is you stay attached to the vine right? Because when you become detached from the vine, guess what? There is no longer nourishment. When you become detached from the vine, there is no water going to, you lose the source of water, right? You lose the source of of, of bread, per se. You lose the source of food, and you wither, and you die because a branch can't remain uh, uh, operational without being attached to the vine, to the source of life. When you think about it, the branch withers and dies, right? It withers and dies. It, 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 it turns brown, it decays, and it withers and dies when it detaches itself from the vine. The promise is as long as we stay attached, he's going to stay attached to us, right? When you think about it, when the branch is connected, there is protection there. There's other branches around to help out, right? There's other things growing, and there's other nutrients flowing in other parts of the tree. And so when, when, the, when the branch stays connected to the vine, it can stay operational. It stays protected because of the surrounding, right? But when it becomes a, a stray on its own, it loses the protection of the vine, when we do not stay in constant contact with Christ, we lose that connection and we wither and we die, might be physically, but certainly be spiritually, right? And instead of being tossed into the fire like the branch, we're going to be tossed into a fire of eternal lake in hell, right? The lake of fire. So we can't walk away from God or not do as well, and then we got to blame him for not protecting us. Well, God, you... You didn't protect me from this. You know, we go through things in life and, and we wonder, well, God, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you didn't heal me here and you didn't do this in my life and you're not protecting me. But he goes, you know what? It could have been a lot worse. I did protect you. I spared your life, right? I spared your health. I spared this or spared that. And the thing is, is we look at, this is a little thing that God didn't do for us, but we don't look at the big picture that God says, I still protected your life right? Paul could have said, you put me in prison. You shipwrecked me. You put me uh, in, in, in an area where I had 39 lashes, one lash away from death. You did all these things to me. God, you're not protecting me. He goes, I was with you through it all. Amen? I'll tell you, there's protection in living, in, in living in God's will. Second thing in verse 10, it says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied it around uh, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, and this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we 
and the people were there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Second thing I want us to see is Paul's courage to do the will of God. Paul had courage to do the will of God. Here we see another prophecy, right? Again, confirming what Paul, what the Holy Spirit's already spoken to Paul, right? What, what the disciples of Tyre already spoken to Paul, okay? Now Agabus is coming and telling Paul, this is what's going to happen now, right? This is what he used his own belt. He said, listen, I'm going to take your belt. I'm going to tie myself up, and I'm showing you what's going to happen to you, Paul. And Paul's probably sitting back is like, uh-huh, I know, right? <laughs> he's, so, he's probably comfort. He's cool about it. He's like, okay, right? Anything else you want to tell me that's different than what I already know, right? Thank you for you know, showing that to me, Agabus. Can we go on and have dinner now, right? He's probably just calm and cool about it, right? But Agabus was giving Paul an illustrated sermon of what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And again, Paul received confirmation once again. But Paul had a difficult decision. Here was another godly person who prophesied what the Spirit already confirmed, confirmed to Paul. And again, we see that Agabus' words were true, right? The tire, the disciples in the tire, their word was true. The, the, what the Spirit already told Paul in Acts 20 was true, right? But just like the disciples in Tyre, there was a human application. Because verse 12, again, we see the word we. It says, we pleaded with Paul not to go. We. Who's we? It's Luke. It's the disciples, Right? Agabus wasn't pleading. I mean, maybe he was part of that too. And Luke just said, it. it's all of us in the room. We, we all were saying not to go. But it wasn't from God. It wasn't from God. The prophecy of Paul being bound was from God. It was right on. But the pleading for him not to go wasn't from God. It was from we. We pleaded with him. We let me ask you this. How many of us would have backed out when the Spirit told us back in Acts chapter 20 that you're going to be bound and have hardships and be put in prison? How many of us would be had that comfort to say, okay, I'm still going to go because this is your will, Lord, for my life? That takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. And then when you get to, to, to Tyre, the disciples there says, hey, listen, I'm just going to remind you again that you're going to be bound and put in prison when you go to Jerusalem. Paul goes, all right, I'm going to go. Takes courage, right? And then he, then he, then he gets uh, to Agabus, and Agabus says, hey, I'm going to take your belt, and let me take your belt off, and I'm going to tie you up, tie me up, and I'm going to show you exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to be bound, and you're going to be taken over and be handed over to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And Paul goes, okay, I'm going to go. It takes courage, right? It takes courage. The Spirit is pressing Paul hard here. He's telling Paul, Paul, this is, this is, this is Bible as per se, right? You want to know truth, right? This, this week's word is truther. And, you know, my, my, my daughter goes, I'm a truther. And she, that means that she tells the truth all the time. She goes, I'm a truther, right? This is truther from Paul, right? He says here, he goes, this is the truth. He says here, he goes, listen, this is fact. This is going to happen. This is 100% going to happen to you, Paul. It was a warning but it was also insight for Paul to be prepared, for Paul to be to get ready, to Paul, to, for Paul to be courageous. Because what was about to happen would be difficult. 
It takes courage to do the will of God. I said this earlier, I said this last week, doing the will of God is not easy. Doing the will of God at times will be difficult, but doing the will of God is going to take courage. It might cost you something, but it costs God everything. So our little something can be given back to God who's given us everything. Amen? Last we can do, or at least we can do, is to be courageous and do the will of God in our lives like, like Paul. Look at what God told Joshua in Joshua 1, 7 through 8. He repeated this several times, but in verse 7 he says, be strong and very courageous. He says, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 8 says, study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. We can read it like this. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions I've given you through my word. Do not deviate from the left or to the right, but stay fixed on me moving forward. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study my word of instruction continuously. Day and night, study. Be sure to obey everything, not bits and pieces of it, but everything, and then he gives us the promise that if you do these things, you will be successful and prosper in all you do. God tells Joshua, he says, you need to be strong and very courageous. Don't turn away from the word of God, but move forward in it. Follow it to the T. He tells Joshua, stay fixed on the word. And if they did, they would prosper and succeed. See, we all want to have that prosper and succeed, but how many of us are courageous enough to stay fixed on Jesus, regardless of the situation? How many of us are courageous enough to say, I'm going to do God's will, even to the point of death, that strong and courageous? That's very courageous. And let me tell you, you will succeed and have success and prosper in everything you do in life, not to the world standards, but to God's standards. I don't care about the world standards because the world's going to hell. You can, you, can, you can live by their standards and go to hell with them, or you can live by God's standards and enter eternity with him. One of the, one of the two. Be courageous in God and walk in his will for your life. The key, doing the will of God, is, is found in Paul's response. Verse 21, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 13 and 14 says this. It says, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? You've got to remember, Paul was real. Paul was a person. Paul, as, as much as I, I, I said he, was, he had comfort, right? There's still a humanly aspect of it because Paul was a human. And he goes, man, you guys are just tearing me up, right? You guys are begging me not to go. You're weeping and all these things, and you're, you're hurting my feelings, right? Paul, was, Paul had feelings. But this is what he says. He says, I'm ready not only to be bound, 
but also to die in Jerusalem. He goes on, he says, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14 says, when he, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. We gave up. It doesn't say God given up. It doesn't say the word of the Lord was given up. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit pressed upon everybody and told him just to give up already. He's hard-headed, right? It doesn't say none of that. It says we decided to give up and say, you know what? Let the Lord's will be done. Sometimes we just got to give up. Give up and say, you know what? The Lord's will be done. We fight hard. Fight hard for, not, for, the, Lord, for, the, for the will of God not to be done. And sometimes we just got to give up and say, okay, Lord, your will be done. The third is Paul's commitment to the will of God. Paul was committed to the will of God. He was committed to the will of God at all costs. Every cost. Paul was ready for whatever may have happened. Paul was ready for whatever he was going to face in Jerusalem. And let me tell you, that's commitment. Amen? That's commitment. To do the will of God, we must be committed. Earlier we read in John 15, 5, Jesus says, remain in me and I remain in you. Remain. Remain. What does the word remain mean? It means what? Committed. Right? Committed. Okay? By committed, he says, remain in me and I in you. If you commit to me, I'm going to commit to you. But the first step of us is committing to God and God's going to commit to you. Amen. That's where it starts out is us committing to God and God remain in us. Committed to God. Committed to his ways. Committed to his will. This is an even bigger one. Committed to his outcome. Sometimes we don't like his outcome. We don't like his outcome. But it's God. And God knows better than us. Amen. Committed to his outcome. Let me tell you this, in life, you are committed. You are committed one way or another. You are committed. You are either committed to do the will of God or you're committed to do the will of me. You're committed one way or another. Whatever you are committed to is the will that you are following whether it be committed to God's will and you're following God's will or you're committed to my will, your will, me will, right, per se, and you're committed to that. Either way, there is a will that we are following. See, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us this. So do not love the world or anything in the world because if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Question this morning is whose will are you following? The Bible tells us that we can't. Love the world and have the love of the Father, right? We can have compassion on the world. 
We can love them as, as, as humanly beings, but we cannot love what is part of the world. We need to be separated from the world, right? We can't love the world and love the Father. Because in Revelations it says if we are loving the world and loving the Father, we are lukewarm, and he said he will spew you out of his mouth, meaning I got no time for that, right? See, we want commitment. I always tell in sports, we always say stay committed, right? Stay committed. Go to practice. Go to games. Do these things. Do that thing, right? When it comes to sports, because if you're not committed, then don't even join the team. And that's exactly what it is with Christianity. Sometimes we want to have the world, and we want to have the love of the Father, and we want to think that both of them are okay, but they're not. They're not. We got to stay committed. We need committed team members. The world and its desires pass away. Every desire in the world that you've ever had, that you ever will have, will die. It will pass. In verse 17, the only thing that will live forever is God's will. Challenge this morning is we have to have a desire of the will of God. Commitment to live the will of God. Let, 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 let's be that, that Paul who, who valued doing the will of God more than anything else in life. Acts 20, verse 24, another insight from Paul. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Nothing to me, he says. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What's your aim this morning? Where does your comforts rest in? If you're like me, I struggle sometimes finding the will of God. And I heard a sermon a few weeks back that presented us three questions that we ask when seeking the will of God. Basic questions, but important questions. We want to jot these down. The first question is, is it biblical? Is it biblical? I said a few weeks ago, your, the Bible is your foundation. It's your plumb line. If it isn't biblical, I got news for you. It's not the will of God. If it's contrary to the Bible, it isn't God's will. It's your will. If it go against the written word of God, it's not biblical. So it can't be God's will for your life, right? And we can't use the excuse, you know, you're searching for God's will when you know that what you're searching for opposes God's will because it's not biblical. At that point, it's not God's will, Right? So the first question that we have to ask is, is it biblical? Because if it's not, stop right there. Stop searching because what you're seeking for isn't the will of God. It's the will of me. It's my fleshly desires. It's, it's what I want to do, what I love, and what I, what, what I want to, how I want to live my life. And it's not the will of God. The second question is, do you regularly hear from the Spirit's leading and not your own spirits? So we need to search not for what I want, I said this last week, we need to remove me out of the equation and find out what God's heart is. Because when we find God's heart, we find God's will. 
Amen? And again, God's heart and God's will is found in one place, and that's the Word of God. You know, we, we, the, the, the Word of God will speak to us in different parts of our season, but the Word of God doesn't change. It may speak to us differently, but the foundation of the Word of God is the same. We need to find God's heart, not our own. The third question we need to ask is, is there a rush and a lack of seeking godly counsel? Because let me tell you this, God's timing is perfect. It's not rushed. It's not secretive. If there's a rush or a lack of seeking godly advice, you're probably following your own will and not God's will. Remember, church, when we step out of God's will, we step out of his what? Protection. I tell you, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When we step out of his will, we lose his protection in our lives. Like we learned last week, sometimes we need to pause. We don't like timeouts, but sometimes we need a, a timeout. Right? We need to time out. We need to seek godly advice. We need to spend time in prayer. The Bible tells us clear, and it tells us to wait upon the, the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Right? Jeremiah 29 says, If we seek out God, you will be found. Sometimes we need to take a time out. I want to challenge you this week. When searching for the will of God, test is a biblical. Test to see if you're hearing from the Spirit or you're hearing from your own Spirit. Sometimes we need to turn me off. Take me out of the equation. And third, are we seeking for a rush of timing or are we seeking out for God and his glory to be done in our lives. Seeking out godly counsel. Let me tell you, doing the will of God is hard. But it's comforting. Knowing that God is still in control. Knowing that whatever I may face, and we lose track of this, God is still in control. No matter what I may endure, may, what, may, may whatever I face, there's comfort in doing the will of God. Amen? Stand with me as I close in prayer. You know, these texts are challenging for us, but I praise God that he put him, he puts it, sowing, sows it right into the Bible perfectly. So we can look back at it and say, look what happened in Paul's life, right? Because we can apply it to our life as well. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we looked over your will over these, these last two weeks, Heavenly Father, and we've seen conflicting words, we've seen comforting words. But I pray, Heavenly Father, that we become people like Paul. Lord, that will seek after you at all costs regardless of what it may be and whatever it may cost us, Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we search after you, Lord. 
Allow us, Heavenly Father, to find your will, Lord. Allow us to make those difficult decisions, Heavenly Father. But in the end, we'll be comforting decisions because we're doing your will. Lord, I pray, Lord, this week that as we seek you and we search you, Lord, that we will find you, Heavenly Father, and we will find your will, Lord. But we won't only find it, Lord, because sometimes we find it and we reject it. But I pray, Lord, that as we seek you and search you out this week, Lord, that we will find it, that we will receive it, and that we will live it. Lord, allow our lives to be living testimony, Lord, pleasing to you. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Lord, provide us comfort in this time of trials that we're going through, Lord. Allow us to see that you're still on the throne, that you're still God, you're still in the miracle-working business, that you still have a hand, Lord, in this world of chaos and confusion. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your comfort. We thank you, Lord, for being with us today. But I ask you, as we leave this place, Heavenly Father, allow us, Lord, just to meditate on your word. Meditate on your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, God bless your church. If you need a prayer, come on up, text us, give us a call. We'll see you next Sunday.